1: I just I think you need to hold it closer to the phone.
2: Oh uh, it was like an inch from the phone. Your computer sucks ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you suck ass. By the way. <laughs> Brock Osweiler sucks a
2: whole ass. Uh, not yeah, I'm not Brock.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, kids. We probably should have put a, a warning at the beginning of this. Episode. Oh wait, it is the beginning of the episode. And we've already used three cuss words. Look, if
3: they don't know by now, I mean really you they will, will
1: never, never,
4: never, never, never know, know me. Us. Oh, that was
1: good. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Very nice, you guys. Yeah. Good, good team effort. And All right. Helped. What are you drinking, T?
2: Well, to ensure that I don't fall asleep in this episode, I am <laughs> having a seasonal thunderstruck coffee porter.
3: Ooh. Ooh. And
1: the brewery is?
2: That is from Highland Brewing in Asheville, North Carolina. Good stuff.
1: Well, just so you know, Mr. T, uh, mm-hmm. you've got uh, something else <clears throat> that's going to keep you awake heading right to your hometown. I just mailed it off today. You are getting. Ts Tiesta Tea, <laughs> and? and no, well, the other part's is gift. Got it. Okay. So the tea is the tea is just tea. Then, <clears throat> then the gift. There's a gift. It's but, a gift. But wait, there's more. But then there's tea also. But I think oh, tea
2: wait. is. But I think tea is the finest gift that can be given.
1: And you know what's the best kind of tea that you can give as a gift? Tiesta tea. <clears> throat> uh, throat> the thing about Tiesta tea is it is all loose tea, and I have I've gone whole hog on this whole to Tea thing. We now have like tens and tens of tens <laughs> of tea. And uh, that's because we can use our promo code Heaven 15 to get all the awesome loose tea that to Tea has to offer. And let me just tell you guys, the thing is, I ordered uh, the wild child blueberry Mm. tea like four days ago and just got it today. And so, like, they have super fast shipping. I placed an order, and they remembered me, and they sent me, like, a thank you note. And, uh, Mm. yeah, Will clearly needs ts to ts immunity. The immunity is is quite tasty. So um, They they have immunity?
2: They do do? have
1: an immunity. Wow. Yeah. So, like, they've got energized, uh, eternal immunity and sleepy. Slender eyes. Slender eye. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I should get that for my chubby little butt. Anyway, they have a ton of different kinds of tea with a bunch of different flavors. It's amazing. It's all loose tea. You got to live loose. Live loose, baby. Try T-S to tea. And at checkout, make sure to use our promo code Rock Heaven 15 to get 15% off your order. So that's our ad spot for the uh, episode. You guys make sure to get your ts to t Make sure to place your order because there are a ton of incredible gifts that you guys can get for the tea lover in your life or you can convert someone to loving the tea. And uh, I'm telling you this, this tea company is amazing. So please go, go try ts to t It's awesome. And you'll have to tell us what you think about your Mm ts to t sir. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, getting into this,
2: um. You. You. You forgot to like introduce the other person.
1: Oh, <laughs> he's dead.
3: That's fine. I thought I was fired. I, uh, <laughs> I, you're, you're, it's a wrongful termination. I'm not feeling well, so you can't <laughs> terminate me for that.
1: Well, I forgot that you were here. Yeah, anyway, so here's everyone. my husband. Will the thrill? Greetings and salutations. Oh, you. you you're getting stuff on my. What are you drinking? Uh, well, since I said I'm not feeling well, this is um this is orange juice. Uh huh. Do you want to tell me what else is in it? Because I can see the bottle. Ah, uh,
2: there is ice. Uh huh. hmm. And some uh, natural vegetable
3: juice. Yeah, it is a vegetable juice. Uh, it's vodka. You're drinking vodka. Hey, I gotta get my vitamin C. Come on. <laughs> well,
2: it's yeah. Vodka is uh, vegetable juice, basically.
3: Mm, pretty much. Yeah. Or yeah
2: weed or it's grain. Made out of wheat or potatoes or something it's very healthy yeah mm.
3: exactly
1: i don't see what the problem here is i do
2: as long as you're not drinking heaven hill or something oh no no
1: no. Heavens, though. no no i'm i'm shocked he's drinking sky see when i did drink i loved crystal skull vodka that was the best vodka ever
3: it is it's so that's very been, good it's a great drink it's straight vodka the thing with sky is it blends really well Really well, it's a great
2: mix. You guys should
1: just have a booze podcast. Oh my
2: goodness, we should. I've I've actually pitched that idea before. Uh,
1: Well, when we get when we move and we get the studio up, you guys can do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's uh. Now that everybody's been properly introduced, also everybody should know who the hosts are anyway, because we're in part four of Michael Jackson.
3: Someone could be tuning in for the first time. Why?
1: Why? Why would you tune into part four? It's on your Spotify, you just click
2: it. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking, like, hey, well, I'll just skip to the end. And they get to part four, and Michael's still seven.
1: Yeah. He's 14 by the end of this episode.
2: Oh, good. Okay. Thank goodness. Uh, Good, great. By the time we get to part five, he'll be eligible for a driver's permit. Mm
1: -hmm. No, we won't. We only get to 16. (laughs) This is going to take forever. gonna i'm gonna be the same age as michael by the time we finish this we might be actually wait no am i i don't know no anyway well l- let's get to a other business because you guys we had we had a hell of a week oh
2: boy how did we we'd managed to skate on horrible musician deaths for a little while and that kind of seems like it caught up with us here this week, unfortunately. Yeah.
3: And I feel like these ones at the end of the year are more impactful. Remember when we did the draft, we talked about George Michael and how that landed on Christmas Day. Yeah. So I feel like the holidays and everything surrounding them makes these deaths even hard. They'd be hard to deal with anyway, but yeah. this time of year makes I it I mean, larger.
1: also, like, seriously, I know that, um, you know, this is going to be coming out relatively soon. So uh, I want to take a second before we get into these individuals. Like, our hearts, <clears throat> our thoughts, and our prayers are going out to everybody that was affected by the tornado especially mayfield kentucky Oh man. um if if you guys are near mayfield kentucky please consider like donating toys clothes anything that you guys have any extra cash or blood anything will help these folks their town was completely devastated and of course like you guys know i make candles and a candle factory was leveled and so like those are my people and so you know Say a special prayer for Mayfield tonight and all the other cities and states affected by that horrible storm that happened on friday
2: yeah, I think think about uh, i mean i've we given where I live and you formerly lived l d we we've seen our share of tornadoes, but this one went for was it two hundred some odd miles?
1: Think like two hundred fifty-six miles, something. It
2: was like the the long right. It was the the, the longest duration I think in American history for a tornado, and it just yeah. It just those things just they just leave utter devastation in their wake, just destroying buildings and snapping trees and knocking out people's power and unfortunately taking out a lot of buildings that people were in at the mm-hmm. time. So yeah, if anything you can do if you're able, I'm sure they'd appreciate it, and we sure would.
1: Yeah, and if I can find any kind of information for donations specifically for. Uh, that fund, I will place it in the show notes. So, um, but this this week was a really hard one. Now we're going to hold on the one that was um, wow. the big one for for me, especially. So do you want to run down uh, some of the folks? I know one that actually, interestingly enough, I think I worked on this season, but this young lady named Skylar Hicks, uh, who was on the show, America's Got Talent, uh, passed away this week. She was 23 yeah. she was found lifeless at one of her friend's houses and the cause of death right now is unknown and
3: they haven't released yet right they haven't
1: they don't know yet so that's going to take some time but um and then slim 400 yeah. was um, a rapper and he was actually shot to death in inglewood and he was only what he was 20 33 years old 33 years old so skylar was 23 and then slim was 33 and then the superstar, uh, the Mexican superstar, Vincente, Vincente Fernandez, Fernandez yeah. was 81 and, um, that was a big one in the hollywood community they actually had a celebration of life near his star on the walk of fame mm-hmm. so that was a really big hit for the spanish community he was kind of what i what i would would think of like our tony bennett yeah he's kind of like that, that level that level sure. of someone who's who's com- like absolutely recognizable in his genre of music megastar right? Megastar. Mm-hmm. just you know that would be it it's, it wouldn't even be like lady gaga it's somebody that has comfortably been in their life forever and so that was a Huge loss this week. And um, then I they- throw
2: in, I'll, I'll throw in one. Uh, Gil Bridges, um, who was with the band Rare Earth. Oh man! Oh, Jesus! Uh, died. He was he eighty. Died from COVID, unfortunately. Um, oh, wow. Their big hit was what? I just want to celebrate.
4: Yeah. I just want to celebrate. Yeah. yeah.
5: yeah.
2: Well, well, no, they did the more.
5: I just want to celebrate. That
1: so basically, it was yeah. the same song that we were just singing, but with a key change right basically yeah for all intents and
2: purposes because um, uh, but because, because vocally i'm completely capable of doing that
1: <laughs> uh those who can't do have a podcast <laughs> and then we have another les emerson mm-hmm. who was 77 and i think 70, he- yeah. I think he passed of covid yeah. and he wrote the song signs signs, mm-hmm. signs yep. everywhere signs
2: the which which of course people our age will remember that tesla had a big hit <laughs> with a remake of it but he was part of the five man electrical band who did it first
3: yep
2: and then
1: um the other one that we had that really kind of like hurt my teenage soul she's not a musician at all but ann rice passed away yeah Like she, she, you know, she had the vampire Chronicles, Chronicles. Like she, she created what we would consider the modern vampire. Like she created that like without her there, like half the authors in the world wouldn't have written. And I have a a very small connection with her. I never actually got to meet her, but her son used to come into the restaurant I used Mm -hmm. to work at all the time. And he was the nicest guy, but literally he'd come in once a day and every single day he would be reading a different book.
4: Well, if you're a it's writer, just, what'd you do. And
1: he just, and he, he actually is a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. But I think everybody knows the one that, that hit me the hardest this week.
3: Would you like to do the honors LD?
1: No, no, you.
3: Well, you've seen the, the video and we were there for his final appearance. Yeah. Mike Nesmith of the Monkees has left the stage for the last time.
1: And we saw him leave the stage the last time. We
3: did, yeah. We got to be with him at that last show, which was really moving. I remember he broke down during one of the songs. He was like, you made this possible. You made this possible, you know?
1: Yeah, and he was like, during his song, he just started to cry. And like, I I think I picked the wrong time to go to the bathroom because like literally when I came back, the entire audience Mm -hmm. was crying. And he was like, yelling at the sky Mm -hmm. and i'm like what the what did i miss but you know they would yell out peter's name and they yell out davy's name is like are you listening and they just they hugged so many times on stage and i'm so 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 glad that we got to um that we got to be there for that because how how long
2: how long before he passed was that show it wasn't very long was it it was early november like two weeks november
1: 12th it? (laughs) it was something like yeah it was I want to say it was like the 13th or the 14th. Well, why do look, yeah. look on your phone because the video was on, we'll give you the date. But like, but if you guys are wondering, I did not expect to openly weep during Daydream Believer, but I did. I just started to cry. November 14th. November 14th. So literally a month ago, yep. one month ago, yeah. almost to the day that we're recording this. But it was almost like he, he finished that tour and then left. But it was one of the the best things. Like, I'm so happy that 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 I got to see that because um, we didn't go to see Tom Petty because oh, of yeah. the money. And this time I was like, I want to go see the monkeys. I don't care how much it costs. I want to be in the building. This is their last tour. And so we made it work. We made it, we, we made it happen and I got to Oop. see them. So I, I need to address something though that someone actually posted on our Facebook really quick about Mike, which was, guys, thank you for you know, sending me condolences because you guys know how much I love the monkeys. (laughs) And literally I would name drop them every episode Um, ad nauseum, but uh, someone actually brought up and I think it was either Chris or Nick. I'm not, I can't, sorry, I can't remember who it was, but they said, I smell an audible coming. And unfortunately, no, there is not an audible coming for Mike. And the reason for that is that we have set strict guidelines for our drafts and for our picks. And unfortunately, this go round, I actually already audibled for Steven Sondheim. So that was um, your one. That was my one. That was my one per list. <laughs> but you and, could do it next year. Uh, in theory, I could. Right when we finish I, Michael Jackson. I, you know, after the 742 <laughs> episodes of Michael Jackson are done. But speaking of that, we should probably get into the episode because I'm pretty sure we're like 20 minutes into chatting already, yeah. and uh, and so let's uh. Does anybody remember where we are in Michael Jackson's life? He just learned to walk. Right. He said his first words. Yeah,
2: I think he technically just uh, became categorized as a zygote. Um, (laughs) Hasn't been born yet. Still several months away from that. Um, I think we've spent three parts on him being uh, like an amoeba or um, whatever you would call a Yeah. When when swimmer and egg first conjoin. Um,
1: Um, Actually, when we last left Michael, he was having like this great, bonding moment with his brother and michael had just put out his first solo and that was what we played on the last episode uh, as a as the end song so you guys know that michael was singled out to be the star but i want to bring up something is like just so you guys know i didn't realize how hypocritical his solo career was for joseph and those early days, remember, he was like, "No, you don't focus on Michael. All my kids are stars. All my kids are stars. No one's better than anybody else." But then he was like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Michael should do a solo career."
3: Yeah, like when the checks came in, I think he changed his mind.
1: Yeah, I had this this feeling that that something with a lot of zeros mm-hmm, had a little bit of a switch in his morality. I, I didn't realize it until I was editing that 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 was incredibly hypocritical. It was like, "No, none of none of my kids." Should be singled out. They're all stars. And then they're like, you know what? Let's put out another album. Cause then, you know, cause I think he saw what happened with the Osmonds Mm
4: -hmm. and
1: what was happening with Donnie. And he he heard what was going on with Donnie and thought, you know what? Let's let Michael have a couple solo albums. So just a quick note. I'm actually going to be bouncing around on dates. So this isn't absolutely perfect chronological order, but in some places it's more thematic. So just note that. So the original plan when it came to giving out who sang what song, the plan was for Michael to sing all of the like bouncy, happy, bubblegum pop stuff and let Jermaine sing all the ballads. But Jermaine's voice at 17 was a lot more mature than at Michael's age, so he was actually more suited to do the love songs, but Michael was like, "Nope, I want to do the ballads." <laughs> so guess what? Well, well, <laughs> Michael did all the ballads. Yeah. A lot of people like Jermaine's song, I Found a Girl, which was the B-side of The Love You Save. And that actually became just as popular as some of their other hits. For all the songs that we've talked about and for all the ones that we've played, you guys, they worked those really popular songs into one big medley with plenty of room for dancing. And they keep going back to that well when they performed it on all the TV shows. So for instance, they went to that same well when they were on the Ed Sullivan show. And according to Michael's book, we're actually wrong in assuming that he wasn't a great host, hmm. uh, Ed Sullivan. Because remember, we were like, Ed Sullivan is kind of like, you know, Richard Nixon. And we're making fun of him. Yeah. Apparently, Michael said that Ed was one of the few people that could, like, draw him out and make him feel comfortable. Hmm. So, color me wrong. I'll accept that. Now, in 1972, Michael released his own version of Rock and Robin, which was released as a single from his gold-certified solo album, Got to be there as a follow-up song to the song the same name. It was the biggest hit from the album, hitting number one on the Cashbox Singles Chart, which I don't think exists anymore, does it? Cashbox? Cashbox. Yeah, I don't. I think it's defunct. Yeah,
2: I, I don't. If, if it is, its profile has dimmed considerably.
1: Yeah, I I I have only heard of Cashbox through the episodes that we've done, so I don't know. And it peaked at number two on both the Billboard Hot 100 behind The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face by Roberta Flack and the Billboard Soul singles behind In the Rain by The Dramatics. I had, and here's your, you asked me earlier, yes, Bobby Day did it originally.
3: Got it, okay. because I knew another version. That's yeah,
1: and Michael had grown up hearing that song by Bobby Day and it was natural for little Michael. Marcelino recalled in the liner notes of the Complete Motown singles volume 12A 1972 <laughs> that's that's an album that rolls off the tongue and it was natural for little michael who else was gonna sing twiddly diddly d that does not that doesn't sound right when you're saying it <laughs> i am having problems tonight guys um rocket and robin was michael's second solo single and although he subsequently sang the song with the rest of the jackson five it was a follow-up to his first solo album got to be there which was a top five success during those closing weeks of 1971. That song soared even higher, entering the top 10 six weeks after release, ultimately settling on number two. So, according to Cashbox, Rock and Robin reached the top of the charts. The track was also featured on Michael's debut solo album, Got to Be There. Rock and Robin was the Motown star's take on an earlier rock and roll hit by Bobby Day when it was known as Rock in Robin. The song was written under the pseudonym of Jimmy or Jimmy. I mean, it's the same podcasting is a <laughs> audio medium. So what you're seeing here is what I wrote down. It's Jimmy, J-I-M-M-I-E or J-I-M-M-Y. Hmm. Thomas, world-class records, released Days Original in 1958. And the previous year, Bobby had scored a modest hit with his own composition, which i think the jackson vibe also did which was little bitty pretty one do you guys know that song Uh, i do not little bitty pretty one come on and talk to me okay i'll play it after the episode so right now (laughs) to get out of this muddled mess that i've made let's listen to rockin robin by michael jackson (laughs) Sorry, that song's adorable. What do you guys think? It is a drum song. I thought it sucked. What? (laughs) I did. I'm sorry. What? Yeah,
2: it's a little it's a little too cutesy pie bubblegum. And then you have that really, really overwrought 70s (laughs) antiquated bass thump.
1: you Your 1970s I mean, antiquated baseball. It's It's no Uncle Arthur, guys. Let's be honest.
2: No, yeah, I mean, it's no Cookie Puss or Uncle Arthur, but... Um, no, I mean, it's fine for what it is, but it's just not my cup of tea. It's cutesy pie bubblegum with, uh, like, a really weird dated sounding bass on it.
1: Uh, a funny Amazing. story. You remember when Mom used to uh, make me go to the nursing home and do gymnastics for the old people?
3: <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> it was like a throwaway line in a comedy show. <laughs>
5: Except, Wait, except
1: I said it's a real thing that her. happened in it's our life.
3: What, what's that, T? I said,
2: except he said it was like a throwaway line on the comedy show. I said, Except it was a real thing that happened in our lives. <laughs> exactly. So, thank thank God I didn't have any talent. <laughs> so I didn't have to I didn't have to participate.
3: You you could be doing backhand springs for the elderly, just think. Yep.
1: Oh, uh, but they loved it back then.
2: Oh. Did you do that to Rock and Robin? Was that like a
1: yeah? So mom made me do a a jazz number to Rock and Robin. And then she also made me do it to help me But the thing was, mom would stand at the back, you know, cause they have all the wheelchairs in front and then they'd have like all the nurses on the sides and then they have the rest of the people like in chairs and she would stand at the back and do it. So I wouldn't forget what it was. So like, you know, that was our bonding. <laughs> Thanks mom. <laughs> okay. So there was actually a lot going on with the family at this time. And in Michael's words, he said, The diversity of my brother's personalities and the the closeness that we felt is what kept me going during those grueling days of constant touring. Everybody helped out everybody. Jackie and Tito would keep us from going too far with our pranks, and they'd seem to have us under control. And then Jermaine and Marlon would shout, let's go crazy! And then, you know, hilarious. And that's the thing. Michael was such a prankster and his pranks would go too far. So <laughs> like, remember he used to stand on roofs and like throw paper bags full of water at people. It's like Adam Young. <laughs> yeah. Now the actual feeling of the separation that he had with his brother started much, much later when they started to get married and have families under themselves. But when he was touring with the Jackson five, he always shared a room with Jermaine, which I talked about before them. And the two of them were extremely close on stage and off. They actually shared a lot of the same interests. Now, early on, Joe decided that he had to keep a more watchful eye on those two. And so he would actually take the room next to theirs, which had a connecting door. Like Joe would always make sure that the, the door to the hotel room had a connecting door oh, wow. so that he could always check in on those two. And he would open up that door whenever he wanted to. And Michael despised that arrangement, not only because he could monitor their misbehavings, but he also used to do some of the most messed up things that I've heard of. Like, he would wait till the boys were asleep after a show. And if you guys remember what I was talking about with the shows before, like, how insane the shows would get? mm mm-hmm like they would have to deal with all this they'd be exhausted they'd have to go to school they'd have to go to practice they'd have to do a massive show and they'd be they'd be exhausted and they get home and they crash and joe would bring a bunch of girls into his room and then wake them up and they would wake up and they'd be surrounded by these girls like that's creepy
3: and it's your dad so there's a lot that's creepy there
1: yeah, and I've heard other stories, but I didn't find them in the book, so they're unsubstantiated, so I'm not going to mention them now. But if I come across them, I will absolutely bring them up, but uh, I'm sure i yeah, have heard.
2: because I've, uh, I've heard some. I don't, I don't have, uh, you know, authentication in front of it, but yes, I've heard some, and it does relate to Joe and girls and stuff, but um, yep. yeah.
1: Now, in Michael Jackson's book, Moonwalk, actually talks about his appearance, and this is going to be a really big thing. Because that was his biggest struggle that he faced during his teenage years. His appearance began to change when he was about 14. Uh, Obviously, he's 14. And when people would walk into a room, they would think, oh, I'm about to see the Michael Jackson I saw on TV. This adorable little cute boy. And he's not seven anymore. He is gangly. He's, at this point, he's 14 and he's 5'10. and he would not be the person that they expected or even wanted to see Mm. because he's changing and people would be taken aback by his appearance because he wasn't what they thought he should be, but he's growing up. He's finally 14 now guys. Um, And adolescence is hard enough when you're going through it yourself, but like, think about growing up on the world stage. Like we talk about how, Weird kids look sometimes. Like we watch the Olsons grow up, and they went through that weird kid phase. And Haley Joe osmond went through that weird kid phase. Finn and Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhart is going through it right now. <laughs> in, re- in, in real time. In real time. We are watching this right now. But the thing is, is like they're growing, he's growing up on the world stage, and people are watching him grow, and they don't expect what they're getting. And of course, people are now commenting on how he looks. And Something hit him that, well, we all deal with at some point, but we also don't have millions of people that are staring at us while we do it. He had a terrible case of acne. Hmm. Yeah, he was shy and so embarrassed to meet people because his complexion was so bad. And at this point, his appearance began to depress him. And I think this is something that really affected him later on. He also started going through depression because of his physical appearance and that messed up his entire personality and that's in his own works that's in the book of moonwalk he wasn't able to look at people when they talked to him his acne was so incredibly poor that he started doing things that he would even do later on in life which is he wouldn't make eye contact with people he would stare at the floor he would stare at his shoes Hmm. or he would just walk away because he didn't feel comfortable and he became afraid of food because he knew that his diet was affecting his appearance so i'm gonna guess that you guys know where this is going because his physical appearance was something that people focused a lot on and people focused on even more as he became more and more popular hey ld i uh, hate to interrupt but we got to take a quick break here for our sponsors thank god all right we're back all right back to michael jackson I know this is jumping forward all the way to his death, but let me just tell you guys that there will be conversations about his skin color. And the fact is that no, Michael Jackson did not bleach his skin. That was a rumor, right? That was a rumor. I don't even think it's possible for you to actually medically bleach your skin. What he had was called vitiligo which they discovered that he had, upon his autopsy, they discovered that he had vitiligo and they discovered that he had lupus. Mm. And so this could have been infected man as long as, as early as uh, 1973. So the thing is, when it comes to your skin, you can actually clear it up physically, but still be scarred mentally. And that's what people think happened to Michael. The News of the World quoting him as saying, my skin broke out really bad. It was tough especially after everyone had been calling me cute for such a long time. And the more I worried about it, the worse I got, which we all know is true because stress can mess up your skin and think about the diet that he's on and think about how, you know, often he's on stage sweating lights. Of course he's, you know, it's, it's totally understandable. And also, Oh yeah puberty
4: mm-hmm.
1: when you will look the worst you ever looked in your life yeah. oh i yeah. have seen some photos of you oh yeah i i threw all the photos I, of me away i improved marginally yeah you did marginally i mean good enough um <laughs> and apparently he only felt comfortable with his looks on stage when it was primarily hidden with a hat so there's another iconic oh. jackson moment
4: Interesting.
1: I wore hats and kept my head down all the time. I would look at people when I talked to them. I would say hardly nothing. It was terrible. I felt like I didn't have anything to be proud of. My success meant nothing. On stage, I didn't think about it. It was gone. But when I came off stage, there it was again. That was Michael's words from Moonwalk. Hmm. And it's just not, it's not just the skin that he was fighting against. As you guys know, for the most part, Joseph and Catherine had the best intentions when they were raising their family and they never, intended to put their kids into real harm and the kids love to perform but the fact is a lot of times famous kids don't get the life skills normal people do now what do I mean by that I mean for the most part they don't attend public schools even though they might have a tutor it doesn't really help with integrating yourself into society like a normal public school might especially in the past, because your job superseded any kind of education that you might be getting in the past. Now it's a little different. Now they actually set time aside, which has to be reported for the kids to go to school. So if a kid's shooting a television show or working on their music career, there's a certain amount of school that has to be taken care of for them to be able to keep working. But also the kids missed other things like dating and going to prom and that's because the kids typically seem to lack social skills uh in fact someone who we should do a show on in the future probably not in the next three years because it's going to take forever to get to michael (laughs) jackson but judy garland recalled Mm. that some of her happiest memories were during the short time in her teens where it seemed like her career wasn't going anywhere and how weird it is to think that you peaked at like eight (laughs) i mean look at danny bonaducci yeah another example but but Judy Garland said that uh, like the best part of growing up was when she left the studio school and enrolled in Hollywood High, which is like right up on how like near Hollywood Highland, isn't it? Uh, Hollywood Highland is actually
3: done by the, the In and Out Burger. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> it, it is, You go down Highland to right yeah, it's, it's, sunset. it's the one with all the yeah. murals, right? Mm-hmm. Sunset. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, unfortunately. That moment in time for Judy was really short-lived because the vice principal told her that she shouldn't be enrolled in school with normal people, so that's super healthy for a child. <laughs> so when Michael was in the seventh grade, he joined Marlon at Emerson Junior High, but by the time the Jackson 5's accomplishments at Motown robbed them of any kind of privacy, they actually had only gone there for two weeks. So think about two weeks in public school. like You can't do anything. You can't do anything in public school in two weeks. The thing I think I'm getting at with the whole, these are very formative years for Michael. And you can see how not being raised like a normal kid will affect him as an adult later on. He would hide his face because he had acne. He lacked social skills because he was starting to really be closed off from everybody except for his family and the people at Motown. They weren't able to integrate into the population or to get to know anybody before they're forced to leave high school, well, seventh grade. And, and that was the end of public school for the kids, ever. After that point, they got tutors, mm-hmm. and they were taught on the road. They were homeschooled. And honestly, other than gaming those normal social skills that the kids learned, they were actually totally fine with leaving. Marlon recalled that there were mobs of people standing outside the hallway just looking into their classrooms. Like, these kids never had a chance. As for the older boys like Jackie and Tito, they had unpleasant memories at their time at Fairfax High School, which is a public school in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The demands of their career made any kind of normal routine almost impossible. They couldn't join any sports, which was a real disappointment for Jackie, who loved baseball, because music was the focus of their attention. And when he played, all people would do was pay attention to him. Another thing was when they were uh, singled out by their classmates who had previously ignored them. The brothers became suspicious of everybody. Like, why? Who is your real friend in life, and who's becoming friends with you because you're the Jackson Five? Yeah. Like, do you understand how that warps a kid? Like, Warp, warps adults too. Are you my friend yeah. because you like me, or are you my friend because I'm famous? Mm-hmm. So, so do you want to talk about how the crippling effects of being famous on child is?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, it's very damaging because you're taking immature people who are not equipped to deal with it and you're thrusting money and fame and attention and girls and public scrutiny and booze and drugs and all this other stuff on them and they're completely ill-equipped to deal with it. I mean, it's to, it's incredibly unhealthy. I and mean, then it's probably fun for a while. <laughs> But some of the things I just said are probably fun for a little while, but the totality of that is just overwhelming for for people who are immature and not really equipped to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Is it? Do they want money? Do they want fame? What do they want?
3: Yeah. And the big problem is, even as a as a child, you may not be able to perceive that. You don't may not be able to read their intentions. Yeah. So if you're not surrounded by the right people, it can be like DJ said, extremely damaging.
1: Yeah. It's about time just to catch you up. It's 1972. Michael Jackson's 14. And he began to exhibit behavior that was unlike that of his brothers. Michael seemed more affected by fame. If anybody was liking in people skills, that would be Michael. And that's coming from his mom. He didn't really understand people or even try to understand them because he was younger and he was either surrounded by showbiz kids or his family. And he wasn't really exposed to normal people, as he would call them. So by the time he was 14, the Jackson 5 security who worked for Michael whose name was Bill Bray would arrange for him to have access to the freight elevators at hotels rather than take the public elevators with the normal people. Huh. So, wow. I mean, like, yeah, he would, he wouldn't even take the same elevator. Like every, the whole, the whole family would take it. Like they didn't care. He became a loner. Catherine Jackson would remember. I was worried about him, but I hoped he would grow out of it and that it was just a phase he didn't get along with people his age. He actually got along better with adults. I don't know that he had friends his own age. I think probably not. As always, his brothers were his friends. As long as they all had each other, we figured that they would be okay. I prayed we would be okay. Now, career wise, Michael got his first shot at films, which we will be touching on. Don't worry, <laughs> not this episode or the next one, but we will eventually get there after that. Michael got his first shot in films when he got to do the title song for the movie, Ben. Ben meant a lot to me. Nothing had ever excited me as much as going into that studio and putting my voice at film. I had a great time. Later, when the movie came out, i go to the theater and wait until the end credits, and they were flashed on, and they'd say, Ben, sung by Michael Jackson. Hmm. I was really impressed by that. I love the song, and I love the story. Actually, the story was a lot like E.T., It was about a boy who befriends a rat. People don't understand the boy's love for this little creature. He was dying of some disease, and his only true friend had been the leader of the rats in the city where they live. A lot of people thought the movie was odd, but I was not one of them. And then apparently, the movie, Ben, is a spinoff to the 1971 killer rat friend Willard. Which was remade (laughs) with Kristen Glover, right? so weird. It's so bizarre. It is such a weird movie. So the... The song in the movie was performed by Lee Montgomery, and then Michael did it over the closing titles. He recorded it for the Motown label in 1972, and it spent one week on the Billboard Hot 100, and Billboard ranked it as the number 20 song for 1972. It also reached number one on the ARIA charts, A-R-I-A charts, Mm -hmm. spending eight weeks at the top spot. The song later peaked at number seven on the UK singles charts, and in 2004, the song appeared in the Ultimate Collection, which was from Motown. Ben won a Golden Globe for Best Song. So there's that's one of the big awards. It was nominated for an Academy Award for the Best Original Song in 1973. Losing to, do you know what song, T? Hmm. Um, 1973. I don't know. Okay. I was in the remake of this movie. I have no idea. The song Morning After. By Maureen McGovern for the Poseidon Adventure. lip sync.
2: Uh, oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So Jackson lip-synced the songs at the Oscar ceremony, possibly because his vocal range was shifting.
4: Mm.
1: Because, you know, again, puberty. The song was Jackson's first U.S. number one solo hit. Ben was originally written for Donnie Osmond, but he was actually on tour at the time and unavailable for recording. So it was offered to Jackson instead. So now let's hear that Michael's first number one solo, Ben, which by the way, if you guys don't know this song, buckle up. It is emotional.
3: Is that song now i haven't seen the film but it sounds like one of those like 1970s rank and bass like super trippy animated films i don't think it is but no
1: i feel like it's probably more like <laughs> mac and me where like i don't know like wait what's the savannah smiles no it's no you've never seen savannah smiles no. I, well i think it's more like a beaches kind of thing sure. but with children and rats
2: and with rodents, right yeah you are a big fat smelly rat
1: so much to
2: get eaten by my
1: cat (laughs)
2: that's the alternate type uh yeah original lyrics are the original lyrics yeah
1: here's the thing will had never heard that song and then i played it and he was making dinner and then i cried while he was making dinner because it was such an emotional this has been a week and seriously like the next song that like you know because youtube has this algorithm that it'll auto play to the next song and literally the next song was daydream believer by the monkeys mm-hmm. <laughs> why is everything so sad this week ah! okay at this point i think like if you guys really just listen to the song you can hear the sadness and the loneliness in his voice i mean like this is a really sad song
3: mm-hmm. Totally is to a right. rat. Yes, yeah, so I'm going rat.
1: Yeah, well you know what? That rat was probably a better friend than some of the people around him. Joneses are. I mean, the rat's not real. This is rat. <laughs> I <mean>, uh, the- <laughs> well it's but
2: it's but it's a balancing act. He was a better friend than some of the people around him, but none of them had the bubonic plague.
1: <laughs> and that was the actual irony, was the kid was dying of the bubonic plague.
2: <laughs> the kid wow. died of the bubonic plague. That was the tragic <laughs> irony of the story inadvertently killed by his best friend a rat with the bubonic plague. No one's not coming. <laughs> oh,
1: plot twist on Hitchcock level. I think
2: um, a, I think a little in fact I think wasn't it actually the fleas on rats that had the plague?
1: Yes it was. Yeah, it wasn't actual rats. I don't and, think it was
2: actually the, the rats rats not actually carry it themselves,
1: but No, but. And if you guys are actually more interested in listening to a four part series on the bubonic plague, the last <laughs> podcast on the left just uh just released that and it was actually really interesting on the plague yeah it was like a three or four part series on the plague
2: A feel good summer hit yeah
3: nothing <laughs> says merry christmas like the black plague
1: now
2: maybe we could talk maybe then they can follow that up with a, 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 a retrospective on the potato famine.
1: i think they actually might it's <laughs> very interesting that. now with all their success in the music industry they were of course alluring to women I mean, obviously, As I mean, do. like you do. And although Michael and Marlon were far too young for groupies, Jermaine and Jackie saw no reason to not take advantage of some of their, you know.
5: What,
2: how, how old were, were uh, Michael and Marlon? I at think this time? Were,
1: so. I think they were like 21 and 19.
2: And they weren't, that's not old enough? Or? No, no, no. Oh, you're talking
1: about Michael and Marlon?
2: Yeah, Michael and Marlon. How old were they? Oh, well I think
1: they were like 16 and 14.
2: Okay. I mean, so well, uh, like... Danny Bonaduce says, hold my beer.
1: <laughs> oh, the I mean, Literally, he said it. But like the, the older brothers, it was totally fine to like hook up with the groupies. And Tito actually wasn't interested in the groupies because he wanted to settle down get out of the house, and put some distance between him and Joseph. Mm. So, in 1972, he announced that he was going to marry 17-year-old Dolores Didi Martez, who he had actually met at Fairfax High School a few months before the group became famous. And, of course, Catherine and Joseph became extremely upset and concerned because the lady might be a gold digger. Mm-hmm. And Tito yeah, was just too inexperienced to see it. He'd take my money. Mm, that's right.
2: <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh, uh. <laughs> there but the fact that
2: was uh that was the ringtone on my wife's phone at one point <laughs> and it um, uh-huh. in church
1: yeah no, uh. no, no you gotta you gotta tell the whole story though
2: <laughs> she got she wanted to have that put as a ringtone on her phone and she didn't know how to do it so she got uh one of my cousins to do it he put the on the not radio edited version
3: <laughs> oh my
2: but uh, un, unbeknownst to her and then she forgot to uh, cut the ringer off when we were in church, and it went off. <laughs> wow. I didn't think she said,
1: go. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my God. I would have I paid money to have seen how ungodly red her face was. <laughs> oh. you know, I don't know much about your wife, but, but Ashley is one of the cutest, sweetest, most wonderful women in the world like she's perfection you married up my friend big tom but she is she is exactly what you think like a an elementary school teacher should be during class like she's so prim proper and sweet <laughs> like it would be like if mother teresa had fucked the police as a ringtone
4: oh i would
2: love that that'd be awesome
1: <laughs>
2: well, this- See, and said the joke so new mother Teresa's ringtone was nine one one as a joke it wasn't though.
1: <laughs> ah touche nice uh, all right <laughs> but here's the thing now if he was gonna go through with it they asked him to at least get a prenup in place which he did so tito went through his marriage now by that winter motown had two more singles by michael the first being Rock and Robin, the second being uh, Ben. Both we already talked about them, but it should be noted at this point that Little Randy Jackson, which is not the same Randy Jackson that you think, it's not, a different, not the
2: one that was in Journey and on American Idol. Different, no, different. Correct, guy.
1: correct. But Randy's not an official part of the act, but he actually accompanied the band on almost every single one of their tour dates, and he would be in the back playing the bongos. And he had his own little like Jackson 5 outfit. And when he was introduced, people would cheer. And so if you guys remember before that, Michael had played the bongos before Randy and Marlon had played them before Michael. So the bongos had almost become a tradition to break in the new guy. Mm -hmm. Dun, 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 foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. The first time that they had toured Europe, they had three years of experience behind them. And so the next time they actually got to go to Europe, They met the Queen of England, who they got to meet at the command performance. In Michael's words, that was very exciting for us. I had seen photographs of other groups like the Beatles meeting the Queen after command performances, but I'd never dreamed that we'd get the chance to play for her. That's got to be awesome to meet the freaking Queen of England and do a private concert when you are 14/15. That's pretty amazing. That's incredible.
2: You may not even understand the significance of it when you're only 14.
1: I, I think maybe at 14, you might have kind of a handle on it. But for somebody like Randy, maybe it was, it wasn't But like he had seen other people do it before him because people like Marilyn Monroe got to meet the Queen of England. So it's, and it's the command performance, which is a big thing. So they traveled to Britain for concerts in the fall of 1972. And they were also booked for the Royal Variety Performance, which was an entertainment showcase. On October 30th, in the presence of the members of the royal family in that particular year, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, wanted to meet Michael, Jermaine, Tito, Marlon, and Jackie. How else could the siblings open up their set for the Queen Mother but with Rock and Robin? <laughs> Meanwhile, before the show at the London Palladium, Jermaine confides in his memoir, You Are Not Alone, Michael through a brother's eyes, this is naughty. Marlon spotted a hole in their dressing room from which you could see the toilet of the adjacent dressing room. It's like porkies. Jermaine does not disclose the identity of the female star who was spotted using the facilities, but they were... Almost no the staffed performances on the bill that night. The only candidate likely to be recognizable to the Jacksons was Broadway diva Carol Channing.
3: Wow. Hey Randy. How's the people?
1: <laughs> it was it was Mar- Marlon, Marlon, and Randy. Mar- Marlon found the hole. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> I found the whole one. But could you imagine? Marlon. That, that, no. car- that was my Carol Channing. Is that what that was? Marlon. you call an exorcist. I know a couple. Okay. Harvey Firestein on a bender. So moving on. It should also be said that if you'll remember, Barry Gordy was really hesitant on pushing the kids to a European market because their sales were not that great compared to their American sales. Because their last album, which was called Maybe Tomorrow, for instance, didn't even make the top 50. And their single Sugar Daddy also flopped in the UK. But they had one saving grace, which was Michael. And he was faring very well over there. Got to be there, and Rockin' Robin hit the British number five and three position, respectively. Later in the month, that would peak at number seven and sell more than a quarter million copies just in the UK. So even if they weren't doing great as a group with the British audience, it was helped out by Michael's popularity. And the idea was that they would draw a big audience because of Michael's success. So really like to get this European tour off the ground, they were really leaning on Michael and the success that Michael had built up with his audience. And he could draw an audience in a big, big way. The thing was that British teenagers swarmed London's Heathrow Airport to welcome the group ensuing a mob. What was the last time that happened? At uh,
2: MSG, wasn't it? Madison Square Garden?
1: No, I'm thinking of go back to JFK Airport with the Beatles. Oh, I thought you meant when
2: was the last time the Jacksons got mobbed. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no. I'm saying, like, when was something like that? When people would, like, go to, go to the airport. And oh, sure, yeah, yeah. To get...
2: Absolutely. When the Beatles came to America, for
1: sure. Yeah, and the women were just as crazy now as they were then. They would jerk large plugs of hair out of Jermaine's Afro. The noise was so intense that it drowned out jet engines. This freaked the kids out. Michael and Marlon were crying and Randy was panicked when a group of women basically like swarmed him and just started kissing him. Mm -hmm. This was the beginning of Jackson mania and Michael hated this. This scared him. Women would pull chunks of his hair out. They would hide in broom closets. Well, he would hide in broom closets and hope that they would miss him. Uh, He felt like he was going to be suffocated a couple of times because of the women that were piled onto him he would have to run through the crowd with his hands over his eyes because women's nails would scratch him so badly that they would, like, they'd snag his cornea.
3: Yikes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So after England, they got to see the great museums of Paris and the mountains of Switzerland. And for the boys, Europe was an education in the roots of Western culture. And Michael noted that he was really impressed that a lot of countries didn't value material things as much as Americans did. Michael loved the cities that were in China and Japan, places that helped him grow because they made him understand that there was more to life than the things that you can hold in your hands or see with your eyes. And all those countries, people heard them and they liked their music. Their next stop was Australia and New Zealand, which they also loved. And then there was Africa. They had read up on Africa because of their tutor, Miss Fine, which, by the way, is the same name as the nanny from the TV show, The Nanny. Miss Fine? Miss Fine. (laughs) It was Nanny Fine. Well, the tutor had prepared a special lesson on the customs and history of each country that they had visited. I got to go to a game reserve one day and observe the animals roaming in the wild. The music was eye-opening. The rhythms are phenomenal. When they first came off the plane, it was extremely early in the morning and there was a long line of African dancers in their native costumes, which I don't Mm. think it's costumes, it's their native garb. Mm. But for some reason it was written in the book as costumes, but it's not a costume. Their culture is not a costume. And they had drums and shakers and they were all dancing around and welcoming the family. For Michael, it was a moment that he would never forget. They visited Senegal and that made them realize how fortunate they were and how much they loved their African heritage. And that helped make them who they were. They visited an old slave camp at Gore Island and they were so moved. That trip really had an effect on them. Then Germaine married Hazel Gordy, Barry's daughter, we will talk about that in a second. And in 1973, they released Get It Together, and that was their biggest hit in two years. Get It Together, or G-I-T, is the eighth studio album by the Jackson Five, released in September 1973 for the Motown label during the group's last years with Motown. And yes, we will get to that, their last year at Motown. The label actually struggled to come up with material for the group, and as a result, the Jackson 5 fell into a period from 1973 to 74. They didn't score any top 10 singles. By this point, most of the Jackson 5 members and their manager, Joseph, were vocally complaining about the group's direction, with Michael becoming the most outspoken. The only member to not complain about Motown's handling of the act was Jermaine. Huh. Wonder why.
4: Interesting.
1: Uh, he actually, uh, and like I said, we're going to get to the whole marriage thing, but they they married three months after the release of the album, which sold over 2 million copies worldwide. Get It Together was one of the earliest albums to experiment with the pre-disco sound. It was released at a time before the genre was mainstream, so really like they were ahead of their time with this album. The album was a breakaway from the group's bubblegum soul sounds they came up with a more funk-oriented sound similar to The Temptations' Norman Whitfield-produced albums. Two of the Whitfield Temptation songs, You Need Love Like I Do and Hum Along and Dance, actually appeared on Get It Together. Whitfield's group, The Undisputed Truth, also recorded an original version of Mama, I Got a Brand New Thing, Don't Say No, which is a seven-minute-long version with all of the Jackson singing. So this is pre-Bohemian Rhapsody, so I'm pretty sure this didn't get any airplay. <laughs> I could be wrong. If you guys actually remember getting airplay, please let me know. The sequence of the songs are also carefully arranged for Get It Together. There isn't any silence separating one song from another. Hmm. <laughs> So it's almost like one big song. Each track flowed together thematically, a technique that they actually borrowed from Stevie Wonder's landmark album, Music of My Mind, released the year prior. The title track, Get It Together, was a modest pop hit for the group, reaching number 28, while the album's closing's Dancing Machine became a smash pop hit, reaching number two on the pop chart and briefly restoring the Jacksons back to their former success. So... Let's listen to that title track. Here is the Jackson 5 with Get It Together. What do we think? You mentioned
3: Stevie Wonder. It sounds like Stevie Wonder. It yeah, kind of does. Oh, yeah.
1: You can um, absolutely hear the
3: funky <clears throat> confusion in that.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, that uh, that's a little less, actually, much less bubble gummy than what we've heard up till now.
1: Well, yeah, because before they were targeting a a demographic, and I feel like they're they're growing up as their audience is growing up. And so we're getting a more mature sound for a more mature audience.
2: Sure. And and but probably also adapting sounds that were starting to be popular in general.
1: Well yeah, if you'll recall the Jackson Five were kind of accredited with making that bubblegum pop sound for the 70s. So
2: but but and, that had like a little bit of a um yeah, like a Stevie Wonder vibe sort of um it sounded like either superstition or higher ground a little bit. Oh yeah, Maybe I could Higher, higher ground, ground actually a little yeah, actually higher ground, ground probably. More. Yeah.
1: Before the song break, I actually mentioned Dancing Machine and a note about that. We know that there are some people out there to this day that think disco sucks. And the fact is some disco does suck. Mm-hmm. But in that time for the Jacksons, it seemed like a rite of passage into the adult world. I love Dancing Machine. I love the groove and I love the feel of that song. When it was actually released in 1974, I was determined to find a dance move that would enhance the song and make it more exciting to perform. And I hope that would make it more exciting to watch. So when I sang Dancing Machine on Soul Train, I did a street move called The Robot. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: That performance was a lesson to me on the power of television overnight dancing machine rose to the top of the charts and within a few days it seemed like every kid in the U.S. was doing the robot Mm -hmm. I have never seen anything like it which is awesome I want to create a dance like okay jumping ahead Michael did two things two dance moves in our lifetime that blew my freaking mind number one the moonwalk and number two the lean from smooth criminal so could you imagine that impact that it had on the kids doing the robot seeing Mm -hmm. the robot on tv and we still do the robot to this day yes we do that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) however not everything in life was awesome Checking in with Catherine, she had tolerated several years of unfaithful behavior from Joseph, who I'm now going to refer to as a bridge troll. She knew for a fact that he was cheating on her. And it it wasn't like, I have a suspicion. Everyone knew. It wasn't uncommon for him to have some, you know, encounters with groupies when he was on the road with the boys, not only had a friend told her, which I think is probably a great source of embarrassment for her, but for some of Joe's brassier girlfriends who would actually call the house. Some of Joe's girlfriends would call the house to brag about encounters with him. Oh, wow. These women would have the audacity Jeez. to pick up a phone and call the wife of the man that you had an encounter with. That's demented. You're sick. Yeah. So Catherine screamed, I'm sick of it, Joseph. Enough is enough. The reason why he was doing what he was doing didn't matter. It was that he was doing it. Of course it was. And Catherine wasn't even sure that she wanted to stop this behavior. She simply wanted him to be more discreet. She is a better woman than me because I'm sorry if I ever found out that, you know, you were saying hey to one of our rock and roll heaven groupies, honey. I'm not entirely certain you'd have any clothes other than the ones on your back because the rest of them would be on fire inside your car. Probably, yeah. What's crazy to me is because I know. See,
2: that's amazing. <clears throat> if you would only set his clothes on fire, I would have thought you would like chop his balls off in his sleep with a meat cleaver or something.
1: Yeah, honey, would you? Would you look at? I actually wrote this into the episode. I know. Oh that, yes, I know <clears throat> that it will. I'm going to read this letter verbatim of what I actually wrote. I know that if Will ever cheated on me, not only would I be devastated, but we would be short one host and my brother would probably be in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that verbatim.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. And if anything, Joseph felt like he was owed that kind of lifestyle, which is crazy to me. He said that he had taken care of all the kids, and so his wife had no reason for him to
2: stop. So he gets strange? I don't understand what we're sitting here.
1: I, he was like, "I raised the kids. I took them on tour, now I get I taught, to, go to." I like-
2: talked to to play the guitar, so I get some tail. Yeah, come on. Well, no, but but back up a second. That she was like, "Well, I I don't really mind that you do it. Just be more discreet." It's like what? Yeah,
1: I don't know. That was I found that in both the books that I'm reading. That's that's okay. That well, I mean, it's kind of like you know, not to go back to both of your terrible british accents but like you know the thing about prince charles and diana's marriage was that she wasn't upset that he was cheating on her with camilla she was upset that people knew about it because sometimes you just stop caring you know and remember number one she's jehovah's witness and number two i think Catherine might have had some image issues because of polio right so I think with those two and maybe like everything that she had dealt with in her life, she just gave up. So in January of 1973, she found out that one of Joseph's girlfriends had become pregnant and had a miscarriage. Oh. At first, she couldn't believe that it was it was true because it was literally more than she could bear. However, when she confirmed that it was true, she decided that she had no choice but to end the marriage.
2: So, not only did was he cheating, he wasn't <clears> being <throat> particularly careful about it either,
1: obviously. Exactly. He's yeah. Yeah. And this is one of his girlfriends. It, it was plural. She decided that they had to end the marriage. It's over. She announced, my marriage is over. And it shouldn't be any surprise that the kids sided with her immediately. And if you guys remember Rebby, their oldest, she's 23 now. And she actually can't stand to be in the same room with her dad. I don't know how my mother hung in all those years, she would later say. Michael would say to one of the Motown staff members, I hate Joseph. Not even I hate dad. I hate Joseph. I hate him for what he's done to my mother. I hate him more than I can even say. Catherine officially filed for divorce in Los Angeles on the 9th of March, 1973. And Joseph was stunned. Yeah. He had been controlling and manipulating Catherine for so many years. He couldn't actually fathom her fighting back in this manner it's narcissism but, yeah but he also knew that he couldn't live without her and they had a family and he had to change her mind how about mm-hmm. this dude how about not cheat on your wife
2: yeah, yeah how about how about keeping your britches there joe mm-hmm. it's not a difficult thing
1: he actually thought who was going to raise all these kids and i'm like i don't know maybe try to be a father yeah. or a husband I just, I don't, I don't like him. Catherine filled out all the paperwork, but the the thing that she didn't know about was the community property value. She didn't know what the kids were making. She didn't know what Joseph was making or how much their house was worth. And so she just left those pages blank. She paid her attorney $150 and then she went back home. She didn't move out and neither did Joseph. They just didn't talk to each other. That's not awkward. It gets more awkward (laughs) because Motown found out about the divorce and all Hell broke loose. You got to remember, Motown was all about the image of the Jackson 5. And the image was a perfect family.
3: And They can't have that.
1: So the word came down from Barry Gordy that no one was to know that they were splitting up and the press was never to find out about this. And they didn't. Wow. Well, remember, you know, we have social media now where people will be like, I think there was an article that just came out where Ben Affleck did a... an interview I think with Howard Stern where he was like, the reason why I started drinking was because I was married to Jennifer Garner.
2: yeah you' talk about some first world problems
1: yeah. we didn't we no, didn't I'll,
2: I'll tell you what what would probably suck is being married to that hot chick from alias yeah I hear you, Ben.
1: but Jeez. but that's we kept like social media yeah in 1973, number one we didn't have any social media. Number two, you had fixers. You had people that, you know, were on in the inside in the press. You had people that could keep the stuff quiet. And No one, I, like, it was public record, but who's going to go down and just, like, double check today to make sure that Joseph and Catherine Jackson weren't getting a divorce?
4: Yeah, wow.
1: So this information never leaks out. Yeah. And the fight that Catherine was having was not actually about staying together, it was making sure that the public thought that they were still together. Catherine stated flatly that whether or not she was married to Joseph shouldn't have an impact on the kid's career, and I fully agree with her. Whether or not they're married, in fact, it's more damaging if they are, in my opinion. Like that whole like idea of staying together for the kids mm-hmm. can be really damaging in the end. But after a couple months, Catherine withdrew her divorce papers and Joseph promised that he would try to change. I bet you know how successful that's going to be. Yeah. And yeah, they got back together. But even then, the kids were, even the kids were upset that they reconciled. Like, even yeah. the children were like, nah, don't stay together for us.
4: But he
3: calls him Joseph, not dad. That says a lot.
1: That does say a lot. Now, despite the fact that they were constantly touring and they were putting out a lot of records, their popularity was starting to wane it was either overexposure or lack of promotion but they they were losing steam april they had a release of the song little bitty pretty one which was a huge disappointment and except for the release of santa claus is coming to town that became their poorest selling jackson 5 single to that day netting less than 600,000 copies globally Oof. yeah its follow up looking through a window fared even worse a big hit came when they released Corner of the Sky from the Broadway music Pippin, for which some reason Barry Gordy really loved to the point where he actually financed the show. He financed Pippin? He financed Pippin. Oh, he wow. loved the show. Oh. So that actually sold less than 400,000 copies worldwide. So like, remember when they were talking about 2 million or 600 million or 800 million? They're not they're, there anymore. They're not there anymore. And although... Although
3: you're going,
2: you're going from selling like 2 million in the United States to selling 400,000 globally. Yeah, that's a plummet.
1: Yep. Yep. And although Barry Gordy was still Motown's chairman, he spent most of his time on Diana Ross's film career and he was actually making a shift from that time to record production into filmmaking and he had a star vehicle for Diana Ross called Mahogany that was in the works and that would take up most of his time. And at the time, Motown was actually capitalizing on more socially conscious sounds with Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. And some of the top brass and Motown actually thought that the Jackson Five's best days were behind them. Like, how weird must it have been to peak before you're eighteen? Like <laughs> yeah, you keep bringing up Bonaduce. It's what? like the poster
3: child for—I mean, Michael Jackson of the other one too—for <laughs> I mean, how fame corrupts at a young age.
1: Yeah. Then the album Skywriter came out, and that was the most disappointing <laughs> and poorest-selling album in the group's history, selling only one hundred. 15,045 copies. Ouch. Yeah. So by this time, Joseph wasn't thinking that the Jackson 5 were finished. If anything, he was finished with Motown. It's like, you can't fire me. I quit. In January of 1974, the Jackson 5 joined Bob Hope on NBC's Bob Hope Special, where they performed Dancing Machine and Get It Together. Then the, bro- the brothers' tour continued through Senegal and eventually led back to Texas. Yep, they finally got to play Texas. Hmm. Then they wrapped up that month by their second visit to Sonny and Cher, this time performing Dancing Machine. So that's like, holy crap. <laughs> like the Jackson ah. 5 and Sonny and Cher. That's a, that's a ticket right there. That is, I, I, I would pay money to see that. I think it's free on YouTube, but I would pay a dollar. i'd I'd donate then on march the 2nd the jackson five performed at the grammy awards march 16th dancing machine entered the pop singles at number two and remained on the chart for 22 weeks that single sells over 1 million copies in less than a month wow now with everything going on with joseph and Catherine and their impending divorce Jermaine was actually falling in love with the boss's daughter. Uh-oh. spaghetti Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this became a point of contention because these guys would work on these complicated, they would go into their rehearsals for shows and for their albums and things like that. And they would work with their choreographer for hours and hours doing these complicated Uh, Combinations and learning these dance moves, and then Hazel Gordy would walk in. She would watch them, and then she would call Germaine over, and she'd whisper in his ear, and he would come back and be like, "Hey guys, uh, tell you what, let's do it this way." And they'd be like, "Why?" And oh, Hazel thinks it's a good idea.
2: Okay, Yoko.
1: So then they would have to change the steps because Hazel had an idea. And here's the thing. Even the choreographer couldn't say anything because they were under the payroll of Barry Gordy. So you can understand how like this began to kind of create dissension within the ranks. And Jermaine had been attracted to Hazel when they first met in 1969. And you guys remember that encounter at the Hollywood Bowl where she was nibbling on Jermaine's ear and then he went out and dedicated his song to her mm. and wished her a happy birthday. And Joseph was like, you know, what's going on with her? And that was like the boss's daughter. So mm. he, was, he was totally fine with it. After a short about of time, Hazel told Jermaine that she was in love with him. He made it clear that he wasn't sure if he felt the same because, you know, he was a star and he could have his pick of any woman. However, Hazel was a young, beautiful woman with a massive legacy. And all she wanted to do was get married and have a family. And see, the thing is that she fell in love with Jermaine and never even thought about another man. Hazel would get extremely jealous if she ever saw him with one of his fans. But over time, Barry got to know Jermaine. And even though it felt like there might be a problem with Joseph, he believed that Jermaine was the right guy for his daughter. And when Jermaine asked for Barry's permission to marry Hazel, he said yes. And you'd think that Joseph might have something to say about the marriage, but that wasn't the case. Of course, you think that Joe would think that a marriage between his son and one of the most powerful people in the industry would be job security for Jackson at Motown, especially since he was having a difficult time even getting Barry on the phone. So he saw it as a business proposition, (laughs) like two men from the days of yore. Yeah, like Game of Thrones. uh, Yeah, like like this could be a good match. She has huge tracts of land. So in November of 1973, uh, Michael's parents had another massive blowout and Catherine ended up leaving town. The children were devastated, Michael in particular. Now, I can't find the exact specifics of when she left or where she left, but I'm assuming that she went back home to Gary since they had the house. But when she heard through friends of the press that they were becoming aware of the problems with her marriage, she became concerned. She wanted Germaine's upcoming wedding to be a focus in the media attention, not separation. So she returned home just a couple days before the wedding. Germaine married Hazel on the fifteenth of December, nineteen seventy-three, and it was a massive wedding because, of course, it was. <laughs> Barry Gordy's only daughter was marrying one of the biggest pop stars in the world, and the wedding cost him about a quarter of a million dollars. Whoa. Wow. Oh. In nineteen yeah nineteen seventy. Yeah, and I was I was gonna say
2: this is in like early mid seventies money, so probably a million plus bucks in today's. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's that's a whole whole lot of money. I think our like I think our wedding costs like fifteen thousand because we we decided to use our money yeah. for something other than that. If you
3: want to know the conversion rate from 1973 to the present, that would put a price tag of roughly one, mm. one and a half million dollars on the wedding.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Well, I mean, Barry Gordy had all the money oh, anyway, yeah, so I exactly. mean, like, whatever. But, like, wait, what are you spending a million dollars on? I guess it's a lot of shrimp cocktail.
2: Like, lots of lots of shrimp co- and cocktail. Of- oh,
1: <laughs> God. Lots of it. Ew. No. Mm. Like, Trump. That's. I mean, I just. I. I hear like these people spending like so much, and not to judge. Like, you, it's your money. You can use whatever you want. But like, I can't blow a million dollars in a day. You could if you tried. On what? I don't know. It's like, like resilience. Like, yeah, no. Could <laughs> I? Could I spend? I mean, I don't. I don't think I could spend a million dollars in a day. There's not enough doves and like crepe paper and like crappy centerpieces in the world. Anyway, if you're wondering what he spent that money on, they had artificial snow covered pine trees, 175 doves and white cages, chrysanthemums, carnation decorated rooms with the wedding and reception and luncheon taking place in the same place. The 100 guests were invited to the ceremony the ceremony Oh, geez. and 500 plus at the after gathering or like the Shit. reception it said after gathering and what i was reading and for some reason i was just like that's not a reception but yeah okay so they had trees and birds <laughs> and lunch <laughs> <laughs> wow so 100 guests were invited to the ceremony with 500 people plus for the after party Ebony called it the wedding of the century and the whole family took part in the wedding somehow so Marlon was the best man and Jackie Michael Tito and Randy were the ushers Hmm. Michael was there that day but he found it very difficult to focus he was preoccupied in thought because here's the thing When Tito got married, the Jackson 5 had continued like they had before. His wife never had anything to do with the music business or the politics. She had some strong opinions, but, you know, she didn't encroach. When Jermaine married Hazel, that was the boss's daughter. It was going to be different. Hmm. She had strong opinions that affected the group. Michael was losing Jermaine. That was his best friend. And now he's Hazel's man. Now, this wedding was the event of Motown. Hmm. And at the reception, you could find people like Diana Ross, of course, Billy D. Williams, Smokey Robinson, and even Coretta Scott King, who was a widow of Martin Luther. Oh, wow. The whole time, Catherine was forced to act like nothing was wrong, even though she was incredibly unhappy. And no matter how much she tried to conceal her sadness, it was apparent. And the thing is, Michael could sense her sadness. He had his own sadness compounding with his mom's and all he wanted to do was to comfort her and make her feel better. But even when he tried to talk to her at the reception, she seemed like she was miles away. And on that sad note, we're going to end the episode. So I know we only covered two years of Michael's life today, but you can, you guys can see there was a lot. One of two years. Yeah. It was, it was him dealing with his self image. It was his mother finally taking a stand and, you know, at least attempting to leave Joseph. It's his brother getting married. It's, you know, him starting to gain that reputation of being quiet and loner and shy and dealing with everything. This was this was the Marvel mm-hmm. cinematic universe of episodes. There's a lot of episode in this episode. Oh yeah. Travis, thoughts?
2: I don't know. There's a lot of messed up messed up angles to this like from the jump throughout all four episodes we've done so far <laughs> just just consistently everything
1: yeah well yeah there was a
3: lot like you said there's a lot of episode in this episode and i think a lot of it is playing into who michael becomes again sort of the loneliness the dealing with fame at a young age the issues with his father feeling like he's away from his mother i think we can all see where this is going as his life continues
1: yeah and I mean the fact is it's so incredibly sad yes it is because the thing is he had been by Jermaine's side he was always with Jermaine he was his roommate that was his best friend Mm -hmm. you know they they of course grew up together but like think about losing someone that you love to someone that you are forced to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he's married, like that is dangerous territory that you're walking in on when oh, you yeah. marry the boss's daughter.
3: Yeah, that's that's a big ask.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It just for me, it seems like you can you can see all the the moments where Michael gets these hallmark traits. The acne brings on his shyness. The acne brings on the hat. Mm. Like the hat is iconic. It's so iconic, actually, that if you read the book Moonwalk, the version I have, the the chapters the like the chapter ends are all marked by a hat.
4: Hmm.
1: Interesting. You can see the other kind of hallmarks creeping in of like, he didn't have that social interaction other than with his family. So what happens? He starts fearing and shying away from other people that he didn't know. Now, as we go on, it just gets sadder and sadder. Hmm. So I guess almost Merry Christmas, Mm -hmm. guys. (laughs) Yep. We're about a week, a week
2: and change out or a few days by the time they end up hearing this actually
1: probably Uh, i mean i guess to wrap it up this was not like the happiest of episodes but i don't i don't think it's going to get any better guys i think it's only i
2: was actually going to say that no this is probably compared to what's to come this is probably a pretty up episode yeah honestly
1: yeah i mean sad to say but yeah so uh that's the end of the episode.
2: Boy, well, yeah. <laughs> Boy, these uh, these shows have just been roses and sunshine here lately, haven't they? Yeah, no kidding. From what I understand, yeah, it went from uh, went from Jim Croce to this, and then the, the one that's to come after this might be the worst yet.
1: <laughs> that's what I have been told. My brother tells me that the next series is one of the saddest things yep. he has ever experienced in his life. Oh, that's gonna be crazy. And we went through the South Carolina public education system
2: so really think about that yeah
1: yeah yeah all right so uh our social stuff if you want to support the show you can do so at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you can find us on twitter at rock and roll lt our instagram is rock and roll heaven lt and the facebook is rock and roll heaven pod still not saying our website and you can email us at rock and roll heaven lt at gmail.com and make sure to check out all the other awesome pantheon podcast at pantheonpodcast.com and uh check our socials guys because uh Pantheon is doing something really really cool over on YouTube and I believe in some areas in Chicago where some of the people uh actually record their faces doing these podcasts which uh we aren't brave enough to do because I know I am severely overweight and Will's head is enormous so it doesn't actually fit in the same camera mm-hmm. as mine does and then TJ is probably not wearing pants right now nope <sighs> Yeah, so uh, count your blessings that we don't record this on camera, kids. Yes,
2: we, um, because we because we to tell the, the point is to try to get more people to uh, listen to our show and not to drive them away in massive numbers. Yeah. So we just yeah. assume you not look at us.
1: Yeah, but some of those folks uh, a, a, on our network actually do it and they look really good doing it. So uh, check out our different socials uh, for information on that because I think it's pretty friggin' cool so um that's it all right tj would you like something to would you like to say something to the audience all right all right
3: mr will thank you everyone it's been a journey and more to come good night why did you all of a sudden turn into like mr rogers that was not intentional i don't know why go take your shoes off well i will after i listen to some manfred man's earth band <laughs> So tired, I forgot to put one in. That's okay. <laughs> I just got that at the end of the episode. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to say at the very close, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's EarthBand reference of the podcast has been satisfied.
1: So satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you got that in there. <laughs> I do what, I can. what well, said. Well, All right. Good night, everybody. We love (laughs) you. All right. And to close out the show, we are going to play the Jackson 5's biggest hit from 1973. This is Dancing Machine.
5: i yeah.
0: Joe Dolan and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package including the all in package with access to every article tool and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer.